0: Hello, and welcome to the Floor Nine Holiday Special. Uh, with me, as always, is my co host Adam Simon, but we have two extra special guests on this week's episode. We have Chad Stoller, the managing director here at the IPG Media Lab, as well as Ryan Miller, uh, my counterpart on the partnerships team. So, gentlemen, welcome everybody to the Floor Nine Holiday Spectacular.
1: Ho, ho, ho. Happy holidays. Great to be here.
0: Um, Yeah, oh, I'm I'm so excited to have everybody here. Um, And as we do every year 4 nine, we love we love putting on a holiday special uh and this year we have something a little bit different and i think uh a a new take on what we normally do from a kind of retrospective reflective over the course of the year uh so to really explain today's game and how this is all going to work i'm going to hand it over to ryan miller who will be MCing for us uh as we dive into uh this gamified version of the floor 9 holiday special
1: so ryan the show floor is yours Why, thank you, Scott. So today's uh, ordeal is going to shake down in three rounds, gentlemen. We're going to be going in a snake draft format. And what we're going to have the three (laughs) of you do is select trends from outlooks of IPG Media Labs years past. Essentially, what we're going to want you to do is select a trend that fits into the tech media, and culture buckets in order to assemble your dream team of trends that have not only delivered on their promise from the years that they were posited, but also have implications for the future. And now how we'll ultimately score this is we'll uh, take your sheets, review it within the uh, IPG Media Lab Discord, do some very high-depth insights and analysis, (laughs) and then ultimately come back to you with those results, if that sounds fair, gentlemen. That sounds great to me. Now... Um, for those that don't know,
0: and I think this is half the reason why we needed Chad Stoller on this episode, is that, to Ryan's point, we've had nine years of outlook trends, or themes, I should say. Um, and Chad, were you the only one that was here in 2013 when at least for our records that go back to when it all started?
2: Yeah, probably. But more importantly, I do believe that there are outlook trends from earlier than that, from like 2000, since I came over and took over the lab on like 2011, 2012. I'm pretty sure we have outlooks. We just maybe didn't share them as much as we did today. Mm. However, at the same time, okay. I do think that it would be it would be disingenuous to include those outlook trends into the work that Adam and the team have done, because I don't think they're, they're at, they're at the level.
0: Um, yes, yes. Yes, that that makes sense. I could from my own research, just based off the PDFs I was looking at, you can really tell a, a stark contrast between uh, the the uh, the themes and the trends and the presentations uh, once Adam got his hands on it. So uh, that makes a lot of sense. But yes, we, it's been nine years and we've had 35 different outlook themes or I should say trends. So um, it is quite a list for us to be choosing from for this uh, holiday draft. Um Adam, any any comments on all the time that you've been working on the outlook and, uh, you know, putting together the, the trends and the themes over all these years?
3: Uh, I mean, just looking through the lists again, it's, you know, there are some things I think that, uh, definitely hold up to the test of time and some things that were like, Oh, mm-hmm. that was, a uh, an idea for, from from 2015. <laughs> 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 and that, uh, maybe didn't pan out as much as we, we thought they, they would. But, uh, interestingly, I think, I mean, we'll I'm curious to see, actually, I don't want to say, so I want to see what, uh, what, uh, guys draft because i have a theory as to which are the most enduring trends uh as i'm making my list and we'll see if we we'll see if we agree
0: i was really hoping that you were going to give us some insight into some past themes that really kind of brought back some emotional memories that way i could use that <laughs> as i am the first person to drafting uh to kind of you know uh, augment my, my draft. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh all right well Uh, Ryan, shall we, uh, kick off the first ever floor nine holiday draft?
1: Great. So gentlemen, we decided the draft order ahead of time and we're going to go in ascending seniority. So Mr. Elchison, why don't you take us away with your first overall pick? Okay. So
0: for the first pick of the first floor nine holiday draft ever, I'll be picking the 2017 trend advanced interfaces. I know. Um, there is a lot that's bundled into this. Uh, there are things like IOT devices, um, the ways in which, um, you know, these devices are creating new inputs and new outputs for, for media, uh, I think involves things like augmented reality and, and VR. And for me, I'm picking this one because, AR is a trend that has worked its way through many different, uh, I would say, outlook themes starting back in, I believe, 2014 or 15, and I think will really continue moving forward uh, into future outlooks in the 2022 and and beyond, knowing that we're starting to see major tech players uh, announce AR devices potentially, you know, like peripherals that are attachments to, let's say, our iPhones or our Android devices. Uh, and I think we're just getting started with what really AR can do uh, when it comes to shopping uh, and just kind of interacting with the digital environment and the physical environment around us. So I think this is a very strong and protected pick for both the past, but also the future going forward. So that is my pick for the tech category uh, of this year's draft.
1: Interesting first overall selection. Now, are you choosing that more based on the augmented reality capabilities, the IoT insights that you see and how we're building smart homes of the future? What ultimately led you to that first overall.
0: It's the augmented reality part, but part of augmented reality is based in IoT devices. Uh today you could you could argue that AirPods are wearables uh that have audio augmented reality in them kind of like a first step. Uh so really the IoT and the devices are like the step change that's needed to kind of bring AR, you know, into more uh of a mainstream kind of like Conversation and with with consumers, uh, so we have phone based AR, which is great today. Um, and I just think you know it all kind of works works together in a very symbiotic relationship. Uh, I'm 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 seeing Chad and Adam kind of like looking at me. Do you agree? Do we think it's a strong first pick? Where Where do I land?
2: I'm I'm scrambling because you just took my quarterback. <laughs> so I'm just I'm looking up alternatives.
3: I think it's a solid pick because it's uh, was purposefully constructed as an outlook trend to encompass multiple technologies, and uh, I think the chances that maybe not all of them, but some of them, pan out to be very important, and already are panning out to be very important as things like AirPods have shown, right? Uh, is very high.
0: Well, thank you. I'll pat myself on the back for that one as a very strong start to this year's draft.
1: So Adam, I hope you've had time to review that list that you were referring to. I hope you checked it twice. Just had to throw
3: everything <laughs> up in the air and just like look at where the pieces <laughs> land happens. Scott comes in and he'll just <laughs> snipe it away from you. <laughs> you can only plan so much. <laughs> so we got the number two overall
1: selection coming here from Mr. Adam Simon. Have you reflected enough to be able to come come up with another pick?
3: I have, I have. I am going to go with gaming eats the world because Ooh. I think that the proliferation of gaming technology is into non-gaming and gaming adjacent spaces. Uh, we're really just at the beginning of that. Uh, I don't know, like there, there have even been developments since our last podcast, like the the Matrix uh, Unreal Five demo that came out, which is just really showing that. The, the characters are still obviously uh, CGI and animated, and it's not really Keanu Reeves and carrying Ann Moss, but the environment, if you are looking at a shot that doesn't include a person in it, it is almost in, indistinguishable from uh, a real city. And that is, uh, that is part of what we need to get to the metaverse. And I think there's just a ton of companies investing in this space right now, and it's not going to happen overnight, but I think, five or 10 years from now, we're going to look back and say, oh, it's weird that we used to do so much of our media and computing time in two dimensional interfaces.
0: I think that's a fantastic pick from the ghost of Outlook present, uh, a classic 21 pick right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's almost the end of 21. It's almost past.
1: <laughs> <laughs> almost past, but not quite yet. And now to ask a clarifying question, what position did you hope that Gaming Eats the World would ultimately fill on your team?
3: Oh, I, well, I mean, I chose it as a, as a tech one.
1: And just to be clear for everyone that's listening, how gaming technology is permeating into all of these different territories. You're talking about more than just the gamification of processes, correct?
3: Yes, it's it's not even like gamification is an annoying word that has been used <laughs> for uh, over a decade now, and. Uh, That's not generally what we're talking about. It might have some elements of that, but what we're really talking about is using more 3D immersive technologies. And that does cross over a little bit into advanced interfaces. When we get into AR and VR, there's definitely some overlap there, but it's, uh, it's about using these 3D immersive tools um, outside of just the gaming space, in the film and television space, in, I think we will start to see in, in uh, more retail experiences, and certainly just uh, creating non-gaming experiential activations online uh, is something we're seeing a ton of these days.
1: Chad, have anything to offer and retort before we head into your first selection?
2: I would start by just saying that I knew that Adam was going to pick that first. Uh, it was just, you know, all of the all of the top draft analysts had Adam picking gaming eats the world at two. So that one was off the board, and I don't think I, I don't think anybody in uh, Adam's path will have had that on their draft card, but i I do agree. I do agree. I think there's some super interesting things that are that are coming around just just from gaming technology in general, certainly the way that um, production, like for film and entertainment, the way that is speeding up, but also it's about the capabilities that are now available. And it's really interesting to see conversations about Unreal and Unity and the roles they're having with production. So I don't think we're going to be that far off from really seeing, you know, the way movie credits, you know, movie credits one day might start opening up with the logos of some of these companies the same way game credits do. So it it will be super interesting to see.
0: I feel like this just reinforces my top pick of advanced interfaces. So thank you both.
1: (laughs) Well, it's okay, because Chad's going to come in here with something a little bit out of left field and uh, steal the thunder off both of you. So let me, let me hear that third overall selection.
2: Coming in hot at number three was the one that I was looking for because I feel like sometimes we talk so much about various outlook trends that we sometimes rewrite them on the fly. And so I know that cameras, camera as input is still one of my favorite stories. However, I do believe camera as input really is, is augmented um, augmented interfaces. So I don't necessarily know if that one really does exist. And in fact, I just did check this list and it's amazing And 35 When you go through a list of 35 territories, it's like, it's like really super exciting. But what I'm going to do is because that's not available to me, I'm going to go back to 2016 and bring up conversational interfaces. And I still think, I think it's so interesting is that conversational interfaces still represents an amazing opportunity that just still is untapped. I think that the more people that you discuss... um, you know, CI apps and chatbots and so forth. I think that's the only area where they would tell you that they're seeing significant growth is in the chatbot space, just because it works so well and it's just a natural evolution of call centers, because you're essentially speeding up time and you you have this opportunity to eliminate a lot of very um, you know easy questions with easy answers and things like that. However, I will say that voice assistant to me still seems like a minefield, and you know my take on this and i know adam is adam is probably going to have something similar or probably a little bit more sophisticated is just that we're still not at this point where we're we have this ability to train humans to speak to machines and i think that it's really great to be able to demonstrate an echo device or a google device or some sort of mainstream smart speaker and get people to really understand how to interact with these with these types of devices so i still think there's a lot there's a lot of room to grow hopefully we're going to see some really interesting things at in ces this year but um, I'm going to flip it over to Adam because I'd like his take on that.
3: Yeah, I, I agree that a thing that I don't quite understand why we haven't gotten yet is the ability to correct pronunciation um, from these these assistants, especially when I think about driving directions in the car. There are so many streets, especially when you get into Los Angeles, and there are like lots of streets that are are, are named after using Spanish language or after um, Latin American people and. Both Google and Siri have no idea how to say these words. And they probably do if you would switch your your language to Spanish. But when you have your language that's English, they have no idea how to pronounce some of these words. And I would like to just be able to say, no, actually, it's pronounced this way. And like if enough people gave it similar feedback, you would think it should be able to integrate automatically. But we're not there yet. And I think that just shows you how primitive a lot of these these technologies really are, even though they have made advances in what's possible, but uh, they haven't... We haven't seen those kind of year-over-year improvements that we see in a lot of other areas of technology. In in gaming, for example, in terms of how graphics and gaming it really do improve in quality every year, um, we're not seeing that kind of uh, improvements happening with voice interfaces or with text
2: interfaces for that matter. I also know that Richard is probably stressing over the fact that I haven't given the category for my choice. So Richard, I'd like for you to know that uh, I am selecting this particular trend in the place of technology and with that ryan i do believe that i am in the end position on the snake draft and i do get to you, pick you
1: you do get to pick two, again pick but one. i would like to take pause for a moment and have you guys reflect on how you performed in the first round you feeling you're feeling comfortable after those selections or yes i'm feeling more comfortable and more confident uh than i was when
0: i first made my first pick so um I think Adam's pick reinforced my pick and so does Chad's. So uh, I think I'm the winner of this section, in my opinion.
2: (laughs) I I happen to think I'm going to be a little light on RBIs. So I'm going to come up with uh, a big power hitter in the, uh, the next round.
1: Well, that's the beauty of being able to draft on the turn, Chad. You get to develop this symbiosis between your two first picks. So for number two... What's it going to be?
2: Well, you know, knowing that uh, I have to make up for the fact that it's going to be a while for my next pick, I really moved this one up on my draft board. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to come in in 2017 with global culture. And I think it's also very topical, Ryan, because of the work that you just put together with the Game Awards and understanding the power behind an event that can happen in one place but have an effect all over the world. And this notion of breaking down borders and windows and all of this type of stuff about how one event can happen live and infect an entire global community of people with a passionate interest. So, for instance, coming off the Game Awards, I mean, how many different streaming partners Dozens. Was, that, was that featured on and how many different countries?
1: It's almost 100, probably.
2: Right. So maybe maybe close to two hundred and fifty different streaming platforms or something along those lines. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but if it is, it might not be that off. But the fact is is that it doesn't matter about the location, It doesn't matter about the time. If you have content and there's a community of interest, it will find its way to people who are interested. And I think that that is uh, something that's really amazing, and i still I'm still disappointed that content providers and content creators still think in these like perimeter-based ways of thinking versus like you know it's like you can create something and it could be really desirable and hot and the idea that you can still lock it into one country at one date and one time is just it's primitive thinking based on where the world is moving and so i still believe in global culture and i think and i think every year we're making major strides and uh i only look forward to the future because i do think that once the genie's out of the bottle this is the way things are going
1: i i love that pick and i think that the ubiquity of global culture is ultimately down to those examples like the game awards when people speak in a vernacular that isn't specifically tied to language. So the games we play, the music that we listen to, the types of movies and film uh, TV that we consume, those are the instances that you can unite people on a global level without having to be bound by language specifically. So I think that's a pretty uh strong pick. Now what category, what position are you actually going to slap that one into? Well, global culture is culture right. <laughs> hey, I'm just I'm just making sure here. I, I'm not trying to be cute. I'm coming in being very deliberate. You know, I'm just saying some people have multi-position eligibility, and people like to think about this from an outside-the-box <laughs> perspective. So I just wanted to give you, as the commissioner, the autonomy to do so. But seems like Chad's all set over there. Scott and Adam, you have anything to say before we move on to the next pick? Big fan of the global culture pick, uh, and it's also one of these interesting
0: trends or themes um, that I think also kinda laid the ground for what we're seeing in like the creator economy. Uh, where basically because you have a global audience that's available through the internet, you know, you can start to really monetize niches, whether it's um a YouTube channel, a podcast, you know, whether it's a you know, a podcast about B2B, you know, media companies like this one or whatever else it might be. It's like I think this this theme of global culture became um you know very present you know just throughout this like the larger creator economy and how people are building on the internet so um from a culture perspective i think that's a very solid pick um
3: yeah i, I agree i think chad is spot on when you're calling out those uh just platforms and creators and producers of this content still thinking in, in these very market-based uh mindsets i know that that's how a lot of the a lot of companies are formed, a lot of organizations are set up that way, a lot of uh, a lot of budgets are managed that way, but it is, we are well past time, <laughs> you know, it's a Netflix hit that button on a global launch all the way back in 2017, and I think that was, that was, that it was clearly already happening on the social networks, but that was the moment where sort of uh, professionally produced media had a global transition, and that was, uh, that was four years ago, almost five years ago, um, actually. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily always have to be produced with a global culture in mind, but like making it easy to go to to travel across borders, um, getting at least a few... Uh, you know translations whether that be with subtitles or with dubbing or preferably both like netflix does because it enables the most sort of accessibility we're also at a place where a lot of that stuff can almost be done with machine learning at this point or at least a first draft of it can be done with machine learning so like there's all there's uh, it's time uh i we've been talking about this for a while i agree great pick
1: is your next pick gonna have a similarly worldly perspective or influence on it <laughs> yes
3: actually uh i'm gonna go with the anywhere economy me, which it's kind of like the the real world equivalent of global culture basically uh in that it is more about uh and I think we're we're just at the beginning here but it's more about increased mobility and lack of of sort of place specificity for individuals and for companies and I think that that is companies and brands will have to sort of follow on with that. And I think these trends are moving in parallel. Um, But I think we really only just started to see the beginning of the anywhere economy during COVID. And once we finally, knock on wood, get to a place where COVID is less of a concern, where borders are more open, um, there is a huge war that is ramping up for talent uh, and for people to come and, and work in a location, many, many countries are willing to forgive, forgo your tax money uh, in order to, to gain your tourism dollars and let you work there remotely for for periods of time so that you can also spend money in their, their restaurants and stores. Uh, and I think it is, uh, yeah, like I said, I think it's the sort of, flip side of the coin to global culture is that um, a lot of that culture had all all only been happening online. And I think that's just going to encourage more people to travel more and travel in a different way where it's more authentically linked to the sort of local culture of the places that they're they're going.
1: And just to confirm, this is for the culture section? This is
3: for culture, yes.
1: Now, I have a question about it. So just... As the nature of things that are flexible and pliable, they bend one way, but then they have the ability to snap back. Do you think that we're going to come to a point where this you know, lack of location is going to be something that becomes a hindrance to people or becomes something that they've t- they're tired of and that we're going to go more back to these traditional siloed instances?
3: I, I think that there could be a pendulum swing in the other direction eventually of people who spend some time... Being nomads of a sort, and who at some point want to not have that be the case, uh, I think that that definitely could happen. But I don't. I also think that the, a key part of this trend is we're not saying that people are going to all go 100% to digital nomads, but that they might do it part time. Uh, and we're already seeing this with people like this holiday season, picking saying I'm going to go. And, and stay with my family from Thanksgiving until New Year's. And if that's just something that is uh, is is happening on a pretty widespread basis, I think we're going to see the same thing next summer where we're going to have hopefully our first summer with uh few COVID restrictions, um, kids out of school, maybe people haven't been traveling a lot. We're going to see a lot of people pick up and go someplace for a month or so at a time uh, just to, uh, to, to, sort of experience that, the, that vacation that they, they've been, might've been missing out on the past couple of years. So um, yeah, I, I think it's the key to this is that it, we're not saying but nobody ever lives anywhere permanent again. We're saying that increasingly they will be more mobile than they were before. And that might only be, you know, 10 or 15% more mobile, but.
2: Uh, I think we're, we're seeing a lot of really interesting things that support a lot of the stuff that Adam's talking about. Like, so Adam, do you remember like last year, when we had the interview with um Atlas Obscura and you know what what the CEO of Atlas was basically saying was talking about that you know there's a real opportunity for people to hit the road for extended periods of time and then use that time to also do some work so i think like like you know we're seeing like small little things like that which proved to be the case right once covid restrictions started lifting people started kind of like Instead of just going away for a weekend, they were going someplace for a month, and people were doing like Airbnbs and VRBOs for you know for extended periods of time. And there's also this idea that even our friends, we, we had a conversation with our colleagues in Australia where people were t- talking about doing extended vacations where it's it's not really a vacation; you're just relocating for two to three months. But yeah. I think that's the things that are happening that are happening with like corporate enterprises and big companies and stuff like that. Is this idea that it's not necessarily about going back to the office, but it's about getting together once a quarter in a new place. And like almost having the same way that we might go to trade show events or something like that, you know, companies are just kind of making like almost like mini internal sales conferences just for them, just for various divisions. Yeah. And they're doing things like that, because the idea is just get people together for three to four days. And that's enough to recharge your batteries and,
1: and do all that. But with that, should I go into my pick to round out the culture category here? Are you going to round out the culture category? Are you going to throw in a media trend and keep us a little uh, no, bit off going No, no, I'm,
0: I'm going to stay on culture. Um, unlike Adam, though, where he's only picked from the 2021 outlook themes, I'm going all the way back uh, to 2014, uh, and I'm going to pick the Generation Z future uh, for my culture pick. Uh, wow, the projector era! <laughs> the projector era, absolutely. I think it's fascinating because to me, it's this is a trend that you know was brought up in 2014 that if we look at it today it is everything that our brands and advertisers are talking about. Uh, it's how is this generation interacting with the world around them, both online and offline, and really how can we communicate and be a part of that conversation uh, to kind of drive that overall brand relevance uh, because this generation you know, is starting to usurp millennials. Uh, we are basically out to pasture now, uh, and they are what is driving culture going forward. And so uh, I think we have another good... Maybe five to ten years of Gen Z doing their thing uh, before Generation Z- Alpha a? Alpha come, yeah, comes around to to replace them. And um, you know, overall, this trend to me is something that changes over time. Uh, the generation name switches, but like that demographic that you want to target kind of stays the same. Uh, and so, I think that this is a cultural trend that is going to last for basically forever
1: uh so that is my pick so the key to identifying and charting trends to the future is to keep on what's hot with nine to 13 year olds yes and i can tell that was a great pick because chad and adam have nothing to say
0: so i think again i am two for two <laughs> on top tier picks across the tech and culture category can't wait for media to go three for three
3: you know i feel like choosing talking about gen z in 2014 was very future focused obviously uh i you know i think that uh the reading of this uh of this trend as being about every future generation i don't know i think that's a very wide broad reading of this trend <laughs>
0: <laughs> how so
3: well i feel because i feel like generation z is inherently going to be different than generation alpha and whoever what if, presumably beta, like why are we naming them the same things we named a COVID variant? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good <laughs> plan. <anyways. laughs> um, but but uh, every generation is inherently going to be a little different. And obviously, yeah, you're always looking at what those tweens and teens are using because that's when they're developing their media habits and are like, that are likely to stick with them for the rest of their lives to some extent. So uh, yeah, I think that's, that's always where the future of media is going to be, but I think it's a very broad reading of the trend.
2: <laughs> I think, I think, uh, you know, building on what Adam's talking about, I think that's super interesting too, because it's like, as we start getting into a situation like generation alpha, and then whenever follows that there's going to be less of a divide between media habits of the older generations that are, that are in front of those generations. And so you know now we're talking about like if you it, like I believe the stuff that you saw in generation Z is super interesting because it's like younger kids were able to look at what were emerging media habits and so forth. But now I think you're at this point where there's a generation that is right behind them, a generation alpha. they're looking they're they're looking up and they're seeing a lot of those habits with greater evolutions to them as well. So it's kind of like this whole idea of content information and so forth coming top down. Is, is a completely broken type of construct for that. So that's what I think becomes super
1: interesting. Well, these are definitely all good things to ponder for the future, but let's keep it locked in here to what we've done in the past, Gent. So Scott, we're coming up on round three. We need you to take it home. We've got a two-headed monster with your trends thus far. What are you going to put on that third head to complete your Cerberus? Well, I'm going back to 2013.
0: The very first outlook we have within the uh, sheet to choose from. And I'm going with the theme, content goes shopping. Uh, this idea that media owners have embraced commerce, they're integrating commerce opportunities into TV, online video, uh, social editorial affiliate. Um, this is a trend that you know, started and we started talking about it in 2013. And I think in the past... Couple of years, we've really seen it explode and grow. Given you know COVID and how this process of kind of going digital uh, really impacted a lot of small businesses and retailers and big brands alike, and this idea of being able to kind of buy your product or have your product be sold. On the channels where the attention is in the most seamless way possible is going to be something that tech companies and media companies will be optimizing towards uh for the foreseeable future uh so i think this idea of content go shopping and making content shoppable uh is a very you know core uh trend and theme uh throughout the next you know Ten plus years.
2: I think, um, Scott. I, I truly, I believe, I believe in it wholeheartedly. And in fact, I had this originally originally on my list. I think that, like, um, I, I just have an observation about it because what's interesting is in a lot of the brand conversations that we've been having with our clients, and then also just with other brands that are out there who have done some experiments in live shopping. Is there seems to be this misconception that live shopping is going to work if you put it on your site or do something like that? And I feel like it might, and we might get there. However, I really think what's super interesting is just the rise of kind of like what is the next generation shopping media company, right? Where it's more like tune in for, for shopping. And right now, I think that a lot of that is being led by drop culture and exclusivity. I think it's about like exclusive drops and exclusive availability. Like right now, if you're going to make PlayStations available, people will tune into anything, right? It's, it's kind of like that type of thing. But like right now there's like you know there's brands that are out there that are basically doing okay we're doing a live we're doing a you know a live shopping experience on our site but then nobody shows up and it's because because people aren't going to your site for entertainment people want to go to destinations for entertainment where there is then shopping as a, as a component.
1: Of it. I think this transcends the content component of it, though. I think ultimately what this trend encapsulates is reducing that path to purchase in every instance for the consumer. So like Scott alluded to previously, whatever platform you may be on just being simply one click away. So I think that that live commerce angle is a huge part of it. And brands really haven't figured out what are the best practices in order to make that an effective channel. And in the interim, it's going to be about layering in these social and interactive and engaging features across your owned and operated channels to allow for shoppable behavior.
2: But I think this is one that we all we all really agree upon. And I think we've all been watching it because there's so many different vectors for it. And uh, we're we're watching it all happen. I, I do think that, like, you know, in the earlier days when we talked about like, um, you know, I forget. There used to be like a terrible word about oh, t commerce, right? You uh, guys remember that one? Uh, t commerce, I know. TV <laughs> commerce, <laughs> baby. And like, and like, I've, I mean, you guys know how long I've been kind of working in this space, and I've seen kind of everything from like really weird set-top box integrations and stuff. I always tell people I'm still waiting for this Acura catalog that I ordered on my Time Warner remote back in like 1998. But, but, but the thing is, is that the thing that is really working well for TV and it also could just be the fact that the QR code really just just came just came out of nowhere not came out of nowhere it's been around forever but it was like it took covid to really accelerate the use and adoption of QR codes even though i know that we we all have seen it kind of coming like like just the, the pure functionality outweighed the the sophistication of it but but i think that moving moving the interface from television to your phone as quickly as possible is show, is, is how things work Right, so it's kind of like if you're going to have a shoppable TV spot, it has to be something where you're not using your remote control. It has to be something where you're moving the experience to your phone because this is all what we're comfortable using.
3: I, I totally agree, and I think that that's something that um, honestly, it, all the pieces are in play there. And a lot of the the apps that we're using to stream video content, we also have on our phones, and they can they can transfer that content by sending a notification to your phone, which. Is something that you know Apple does very seamlessly inside their ecosystem, but it's actually something that any app can can do that handoff. Uh, and I think that is ripe for not. I think it's ripe for shopping, but I also think it's ripe for just more interactivity in our video content
1: because you can build an
3: entire custom interface on the mobile on the phone, of course.
1: All right, so Scott, thanks for uh, getting that team together, Adam. Are you going to dig deep into the annals of history to complete your triumvirate? You're going to keep it 2021.
2: <laughs> Wait,
1: I need to look up the year now.
3: Uh, it was not 2021. Thankfully. Oh, <laughs> I'm going all, I'm going all the way back to 2020. Ooh, <laughs> The way that machine called Dr. Who. Uh, for de- democratized creativity.
1: Love this one though. Um,
3: yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, it is. This is just about the creator economy, and um, more than that, I think the the tools that are now available to people, whether that is uh, tools built into TikTok or tools built into you know things like Substack or even, dare I say, OnlyFans. I think that the uh, explosion of uh, creator content on the internet during COVID when everyone was stuck at home um, and some people you know, lost their jobs, unfortunately, and were looking for new sources of income um, or couldn't work and were looking for new sources of income. I, I think that really just accelerated something that was already happening. Uh, I think that it is going to be, I think a decade from now, we're going to look back on this time and struggle to remember that there was a time when you would meet somebody and they didn't have something to sell you. Uh, but then like I do think I do think ten years from now everybody's gonna have some kind of side hustle and it might not be their primary source of income. it might they may not even make that much money off of it, but they will have something that is like, hey, I also do this thing uh, and it's if you want to subscribe to it, it's you know. $1.99 a month or whatever, um, and I think that that is yeah I think that's going to be very very common. Um, and some people will have multiple things, of course, an entire constellation of different products and services. But I think the the shift is in like ease of payment processing, but also just ease of access to tools, um, to high quality, you know, cameras and and editing software. And I think honestly. Uh, I'm just going to give a little extra credit to TikTok in that they built a social platform that was really focused on remixing and making it super easy for normal people to create content. And I think that once you see that and maybe do that... it it opens up, it broadens your mind. You don't necessarily have to focus entirely on TikTok. Maybe you do, but maybe it also is like, oh, I'm actually like, I can kind of edit video. Maybe I'll start a YouTube channel or maybe I'll be a Twitch streamer. Um, You know, I think there's there's a lot of, once you are in that creative mindset and creative mode uh, and and understand that there are, are great tools available to you, it really opens up what is possible. Uh, and I just think that that's going to be incredibly common a decade from now.
2: But I do love the idea that, uh, that in the future, everyone is going to sell things to everyone else. So L-
3: Lincoln bio is the new uh, business card. So yeah. <laughs> As long as it's
1: not another NFT, bro, it's fine.
3: <laughs> I will say, I think the place where there's still space for the creative tools to develop is in no-code software development. Obviously, that is something that's happening. It's not, it's not good enough yet. I have to be real. Uh, and also in immersive and game, game development and immersive content. Um, obviously, there are tools there, uh, but I still think we, we need a, a TikTok for immersive content. Roblox has great tools. Minecraft and Fortnite have great tools. There are seven-year-olds making hundreds of thousands of dollars on Roblox. So clearly it's accessible to some people, Um, but I do think that it's not, uh, it still takes a little more of a lift than something like TikTok. I think really that copy and paste and remix is kind of key Mm -hmm. to the whole thing where you can make a complete thing by tweaking someone else's design. If someone like Fortnite you know, really made that easy to copy someone's, uh, someone's uh, social island and and make your own tweaks. I think that that could be the thing that unlocks it.
2: That's super interesting. Cause also Adam, it's like thinking about the, so the tools that are a little bit further advanced, right. Where it's like, you know, 3d software where, and even think about tools that leverage AR um, APIs and tools and stuff like that wasn't, you know, remember 20 years ago, nobody understood how to use Photoshop. Right. And now basically any imaging app essentially replaces the like 80% of what people use Photoshop for. And so it's, and the same thing with video editing, like nobody really understood how to use uh, Final Cut or Premiere. And now video editing is just essentially, it's built, it's essentially built into the media gallery app on your phone, right? Whether it's iOS or Android or something like that. And like thinking about some of like what are those next generation tools? Like, what do you think is going to be the next tool that kind of gets democratized in that same way?
3: I think, I think AR will, will be easier. It's way easier to place a single object in geo targeted space than it is to build a whole environment. Right. And I think that, Mm -hmm. that the ability to, to, we were talking about this earlier this week or over the weekend to capture objects in AR and then like repurpose them. I think that's going to be a pretty accessible thing for people. And the other thing that I think about is just, you mentioned this earlier, but like the the virtual production that is happening for movies and TV shows. Uh, I know a lot of those entertainment brands are are nervous about things like this, but, but, you know, being able to drop uh, or to pull objects out of, let's say the Mandalorian and use them on my Fortnite Island. Like we're not there yet. And I know, especially Disney would be very uncomfortable with things like that, but I think that that's within the next five years is going to be something that that somebody's going to start doing. Um, and we're going to see those brand assets just start to be available for creative use.
2: So that is very cool. So it's almost like the new action figure is actually just a 3D model that you get to play around maybe, with, and, and whether you want to print, whether you want to do augmented reality exercise with, or maybe even you want to do animation or things like that. So that's really cool.
3: Yeah, I, I like mean, that. Nike just invested, uh, just bought that company yeah. to do virtual Artifact. shoes. Yeah. So, like, it's happening faster, I think, than is obvious if you just look at the at what's available. I think if you look at the press releases of acquisitions and investments, you'll see it's it's building.
2: Well, the the interesting thing about about a new area of the licensing business might might really just turn into digital asset sales in that particular way. However, you know, there's always going to be brands that are going to want to have control over their trademarks and and so forth, because we've already seen a lot of those mistakes.
3: Yeah, the interesting thing is that you can actually build a lot of that in using software, right? Like, there, you, yeah, well, it, it is 100% possible to say, here is no, you know, here is Baby yeah. Yoda, and you cannot put him within you cannot, 10 virtual right. feet of of uh, uh, right. um, anything explicit, right? <laughs> well, you just ruined
2: the idea. You just actually know, just threw I'm cold sorry. water. You know, we, we got somewhere there and then you just ruined it for well, everybody by introducing the rules and DRM and everything like that. <laughs> uh,
3: I, I I promise if Disney ever asks me for my opinion, I will not tell them that they should do that. Not possible. You can't do it. Sorry, <laughs> Baby Yoda is going to be next to explicit content all day. All
2: right. So I, I wanna, I'm want to. i going to get my last pick in knowing knowing that we're also short on time and that Adam's going to run to a meeting. But here's the thing. I want to stick it to Adam with this one. (laughs) But at the same time, I also want to just talk about the reason why I'm selecting it. So I'm going back to 2014 and Notification Nation. And in 2014, I'm trying to remember why we picked it. And it had something to do with iOS and and its evolution around notifications. And everybody ran to notifications because everybody thought it was going to be this next generation ad format. And, you know, I think we were we were pretty close to. Um, you know, calling out the fact that it was like, okay, notifications are really interesting, notifications could be really valuable, they can also be abused, but more importantly, we were keeping an eye on the fact that we knew where notifications were going to go next, and that was to new computing platforms. So especially when it came to hearables as well as wearables, right, with watches and things like that. And so, you know, we had already like had a lot of discussions around a couple of Motorola. Uh, audio products. There were headphone products that would work on Android to give you notifications if you were near something or to make turns on Google Maps and stuff like that. So we thought things like that were interesting, but we also knew that the Apple Watch was going to go someplace where we had to ask people the question, is it important enough for you to wear it on your own body? So we thought that was interesting. And then another thing that David Rosenberg always made a point about, he goes, What does it do for social interactions when people keep raising their raising their wrist to their face while they're talking to somebody? (laughs) So we always thought notifications were super interesting. But the last the reason why I want to bring it up is that I think notifications were essentially the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of a complete overload of people's priority stacks. Like so now it's really super hard for people to manage everything that's coming in and determine what is what is an interesting like okay, what is important? What isn't important? Because the same thing also applies to mail. I think everybody would say their Gmail accounts are essentially useless nowadays because in between one personal message is 17 different newsletters and like six ads and stuff like that. So I just think notifications have completely uh, overwhelmed us with kind of like a lot of confusion and just, it's just disrupted us in uh, in an interesting way.
3: I, I totally agree. I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's it's worse than what David was saying, right? Because it's on your wrist and it's also in your ears. It's like, yeah, you, know, yeah. if you don't have, if you don't have, do not, Distur- if I didn't have do not disturb on right now, I would be getting notifications directly yep. into the AirPods that I'm using to listen to myself talk on this podcast. You know, I think notifications have been there. It's a victim of its own success. They're so successful and, and people, you know, they work so well that they become overwhelming. And uh, to your point, it's like, it's like Gmail, it's like your email. It's just like, I can't, Deal with you either deal with all of it or you deal with none of it, and you just opt out. And yeah. like, and I think you know they uh, Apple added in some tools to manage some of that. It's too complicated. We it's They're too, way too. It's complicated. the big. It's the biggest thing that we just need to throw machine learning at to just figure it out. Like even if it's wrong some of the time, it's be, it would be better if we had some some advanced filtering and uh, automatic prioritization because uh, it's. It's really needed. <laughs> and, and and we're about to move into a world where they're also going to start popping up in front of our faces when we're wearing mm-hmm. headsets and, and glasses. And I think somebody needs to put a flag in the ground and deal with this problem.
1: <laughs> so that'll do it. Nine picks from nine years of Outlook past. After reviewing the team's gentlemen, any regrets in any of the picks of the trends that you made?
2: Well, I'm just going to say, knowing this is a PPR league, I'm feeling really strong. <laughs>
0: uh knowing that i have the best three choices uh i know that i've already won and i feel very confident about it the only thing that i'm questioning is whether or not i should have put in algorithmic culture instead of the gen z future for my culture pick that's the only category where i'm a little bit wary of like "Mm, the algorithmic culture might have been the better pick just given the fact of how these news feeds have impacted the way in which people consume and now all of the regulatory uh kind of press and conversation about how we're gonna try and pay potentially fix and regulate algorithms uh when it comes to how content is served and ads are served. So that is if I look back, that's my one potential uh misdraft, but I'm still feeling very, very strong.
3: So Scott, algorithmic culture, I totally agree. I, I feel like that is one that uh you know, you only gave us, uh, right only gave us three choices. And at some point you've got to make decisions uh, on which things you think are going to have the, the, the longest legs. I, my, I, what I would say about algorithmic culture is I do think that there is a little bit of a backlash against it. And so like, will it have legs for five years? Uh, I, I think, I think we're, it's going to be one of those things that probably pendulums back and forth where we'll go towards more algorithm and then we'll go towards less algorithm and we'll sort of culturally it'll oscillate a little bit. In in terms of my, what I left on the cutting room floor, there are two that I want to mention. One is age of anxiety, because uh, I think that we released that trend in January of 2020. And, you could, like early January of 2020, you could not have picked a more 2020 trend than the Age of Anxiety. Uh, but I think, uh, not to spoil the 2022 outlook and where that's going, I think that there are some trends, some pieces of Age of Anxiety that are, are resurfacing in, in new parts of the outlook for 2022. I do think it has legs. I think we're just in a very chaotic time, and I don't think that's going to at- Unfortunately, settle down in the near future. Um, so that one, and then the other one that is uh, that I almost I almost drafted just because I wanted to have the conversation about it, but is welcome to the splinter net. Um, I know it would have been another 2021 trend, but I feel like it's an interesting counterpoint to global culture and to the anywhere economy. Ultimately, I wanted to double down on the global culture thing, which is why I went with Anywhere Economy, because again, I think that's sort of the physical manifestation of global culture. But I think that the splinter net is like the opposing force. And the interesting thing is that they're both happening at the same time, which is (laughs) causing some anxiety. Um, But I think that that we are trending towards a more global culture, while at the same time, it is going to fragment and certain parts of it are going to be much more regional. Um, And I think that the something will always find its way over the over the digital divides but i do think at the same time there is sort of a fractionalizing of of the internet that is happening um because of of politics so uh, i think culturally things are going more global but pol- politically things are going more local
1: all right, so that's going to do it for our 2021 Holiday Outlook draft. Uh, thanks again, Scott, Chad, and Adam for participating. And just to quickly recap the teams for our listeners, Scott with his tech selection picked Advanced Interfaces from 2017, Content Goes Shopping as his media selection from 2013, and the Generation Z future for his culture selection coming from the 2014 Outlook. Adam's team is comprised of two 2021 selections, Gaming Eats the World in Tech and the Anywhere Economy for Culture, as well as a 2020 pick in Democratized Creativity in the Media Bucket. Last but certainly not least, Chad's team is comprised of Conversational Interfaces in the Tech Bucket from 2016, Notification Nation from 2014 for the Media Bucket, and Global Culture for, of course, the Culture Piece for 2017. So... Speaking of lookbacks, knowing that this is our holiday special in which we uh, take a retrospective look at our outlooks, it's actually going to be a look back and one final goodbye to Scott Elchison, as this will be his final podcast recording of Floor Nine.
0: It is uh, after three and a half years. Uh, I am officially moving on from the lab and from floor nine. Uh, so I just want to say a big thank you to listening all these years, Chad, to supporting the dream. That was just a PowerPoint deck uh, way back in the day. Uh, and, you know, this will be my last episode as a host. Uh, the show will live on. Uh, I, hopefully my spirit is still here, uh, but be, this will be my last episode um, as a host. And who knows, maybe you'll see me back as a, a guest. But uh, just a big thank you to everyone richard for being there late nights for all these past years again chad for the support and believing in the dream and ryan of course for uh as being another partner in crime behind the scenes getting the show together and of course adam as an excellent co-host three years i guess i, I can't remember how long we, we, we've we been doing this 125 episodes uh it's just been an absolute pleasure so uh i'm gonna miss everybody and i just really uh thank you from the bottom of my heart it's been incredible
3: scott it's been uh amazing to be doing this podcast with you for the past two years three years how long have we been doing this uh
0: i'm not sure forever, forever. at this point we'll say it's, it's been it's, it's been a fantastic <laughs> three and a half years the lifetime of the pod
3: yeah, it's been it's been fantastic doing the podcast with you. It's been great working with you uh, on partnerships at the lab. Um, you are a a great member of the team, and uh, we're really going to miss you, but I know you're going to do uh, amazing things in the future. And so we are um looking forward to one day welcoming you back on the podcast to tell us about the exciting new uh, new products that you're building.
0: thank you. it's It's been an honor and a privilege, uh, Adam, to have you as my co-host. Uh, and I just hope that you keep me updated through text about what is going on with your car uh as i think that was my favorite (laughs) segment we did uh for for this show so um no thank you thank you for being an excellent co-host uh having excellent insights and of course just being a great friend uh you know for all these years so all i have is you know gratitude and a bundle of thanks um so Thank you
2: Scott you know working with you over the last uh, you know 20 years and uh, 1500 <laughs> podcasts's been it's been extraordinary I will I will say you know this is always something you know when you continued to pitch it as an idea and we kept saying okay let's see let's see let's see and then we just did it and we just got rolling with it I, I can't thank you enough for everything that you've done for for the lab for the overall organization for all of media brands and you know, especially just guiding a lot of thought leadership and sharing your voice and your perspective. But more importantly, like everything you've done, you know, with this, just for me, and mm-hmm. I just appreciate everything, everything. It's just been, it's been absolutely wonderful. I, I love working with you. It's a shame that you're moving on. But, you know, I don't think you're really going that far. Right. We know where to find
0: absolutely. you.
2: Absolutely. And, uh, we're, and we're always happy Always happy to have you definitely back on the show, but more importantly, just hanging out with us. You know, you're not only a great team member to all of us; you're also one of our great yeah. friends. So, thanks for everything. Thank you. Um, We've all learned a lot.
0: I have to say, I have learned the most ever in the past five years from everybody here. Uh, and this is a podcast you can't see, but I'm getting teary-eyed. So,
1: uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so so thank you, um, everyone. It's truly it's been it's been a pleasure.
1: So. After hearing what Chad and Adam had to say, I'd be uh, remiss not to chime in with my own remarks about the partnership, no pun intended, or maybe, that we've developed over the last two years, Scott. It's definitely been one of the most meaningful professional relationships that I've forged. And I've learned an immense amount from you. And I hope that I can carry on the legacy of both the podcast and the partnerships team in your stead. So thank you for everything over the last two years uh, when I've been a member of the lab, and even the 3 years prior to that when we worked together as part of the greater UM team it's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure man you're both a gentleman and a scholar
0: <laughs> well, thank you thank you Ryan um i wow i, I i'm at a loss for words uh it's, it's been it's been phenomenal um i was going to say i i feel like I didn't have to teach you much because you already knew everything. Uh so um, but you know, thank you for being an excellent team, you know, teammate, friend, uh, partnerships, connoisseur, uh, and you know, everything in between, whether it was partnership live streams, podcast editing, making memes, uh to you know, top tier partner recommendations and working with clients and putting out great work. Uh it's just been it's been incredible. So
1: on that slightly somber note, that will actually do it for our twenty twenty-one holiday special. I hope you guys enjoyed this retrospective of Outlook trends from the last nine years and these amazing teams that our three managers put together. But knowing that we just spent an hour in review of the 2021 Outlook, anything spicy on the agenda for 22, Adam? Anything that we should be looking forward to?
3: Uh, it's gonna it's gonna be an exciting Outlook. We're going we're going really big into uh, a lot of areas. I think you know, looking at all of these historical Outlook trends. It seems wild that we haven't, in the Outlook, addressed crypto and Web3. And we've talked about blockchain for specific use cases, but we're going to get into all of that. We're going to get into um, climate change and sustainability. Um, We're going to get into what's happening with the Great Resignation. Um, We're going to get into the circular economy and pushback against overconsumption. Uh, We're going to get into space. We also haven't talked about space Figure. We'll explain how space fits into everything. Uh, so I think uh, it's going to be it's going to be a big one. We're going to really address I think a pretty broad range of topics, and uh, they're the kinds of things that are a part of this global culture that our consumers are uh, are embracing. And I also, I think uh, increasingly our our brands are looking for ways to activate with them. So uh, you know, we always like to stay at the the cutting edge. We're definitely looking three to five years out and taking a little. Small breather from talking about the metaverse because it's coming, but let's talk about, let's talk about everything else that's coming also <laughs> because there's a lot, uh, supply chain issues also like, I don't know. I just keep glancing at my notes, the hyper objects. There's a lot of, it's going to be everything. So, um, Big new outlook coming for you in the third week of January. We will see you the first week of January for uh, our coverage of CES as as per usual. Uh, CES happening very early this year. It's going to be a tight turnaround from New Year's Day to uh, to CES in Las Vegas. Um, And we'll have uh, a a podcast coming out uh, covering all of that content. end of the first week, beginning of the second week. We'll see uh, how CES goes uh, of, uh, of January. Um, and then we'll be back uh, a couple weeks later with uh, the new Outlook, ready to walk you through some new and exciting trends.
0: Absolutely. And with that, listeners, uh, we're going to wrap up this episode of Floor 9. Uh, as per usual, you can find myself on twitter at t-i-p-p-i-e-r you can find adam on twitter at adam j simon and the lab is at ipg media lab uh so uh this is scott Eltrison signing off